is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. We've got a lot going on. I don't know if I can fit it in, in three little hours, but we'll do our best. Let's start with something positive. Then we'll move into what's going on. Tamra Mensa Stock. Tamra Mensa Stock. Who is she? She's the first black woman to win an Olympic gold for wrestling for the United States. The first one. Are you aware of this, ladies and gentlemen? Well, there's a lot of firsts out there, but she's not getting the attention that she clearly deserves. But I want you to hear, this is very short, so you want to hear that it's only 17 seconds. I want you to hear the question and the answer from Mensa Stock. Cut 11, go. That American flag around your shoulders looks pretty good. How does that feel to represent your country like this? It feels amazing. I love representing the U.S. I freaking love living there. I love it, and I'm so happy I get to represent U.S.A. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Is that not fantastic, America? Now I might start watching the Olympics. What are we, two-thirds of the way through, Mr. Producer? Tamara Mensa Stock. I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly because she deserves to have her name announced correctly. Tamara, maybe it's Mensa, Mensa Stock, first black woman to win an Olympic gold for wrestling for the United States. One more time. I want you to listen to this, folks. Cut 11, go. That American flag around your shoulders looks pretty good. How does that feel to represent your country like this? It feels amazing. I love representing the U.S. I freaking love living there. I love it, and I'm so happy I get to represent U.S.A. See how it's done, LeBron? See how it's done, ESPN? I hope all the hosts on ESPN have been playing that or will play that over and over again. If you can't find the link, Mr. Producer is happy to send it to you so you can show it on ESPN. A patriot, an African-American, a gold medalist. Representing America, beautiful woman, inside and out. 
Now, the hammer thrower, uh, she came in 11 out of 12. The hammer, the hammer thrower, 11 out of 12. Uh, I don't know if she's turned her back on anything today or what she's doing, and nobody cares. All right, I'll jump into this Cuomo thing now. We have a special guest at the bottom of the hour. His name is Lee Zeldin, representative from New York, who's running for governor. And I do this knowing full well that this draws attention away from things that are going on that are going to affect our lives much bigger than Andrew Cuomo, okay? Like the stuff that they stuck in this infrastructure bill. And this guy, Cassidy, who I watched on Fox last night, this guy's an unhinged buffoon. He's emotionally out of control. And cocky as hell because he's got the media behind him telling everybody how wonderful he is. But let us start with a montage of the media last year. And by the way, Joe Biden, we'll get to him later. He thinks, yeah, that uh, he thinks he should resign. Cuomo should resign, which is interesting. Uh, I think the Tyree de- deserved a, uh, an investigation by the U.S. attorney or somebody. Uh, because Tyree never had her day. Her, uh, her allegations were that she was molested, that her private part was actually touched, that Biden reached underneath. It was a dark aisle or corner in the, state, in the uh, U.S. Capitol building. And uh, it was blown off, pretty much. In other words, he raped her. That's the allegation. So it's pretty interesting when reporters say, are you going to stick by? What do you think Cuomo should do? And it was also interesting when he said, you know, I'm not going to get into every particular here. No, of course he's not. Because he's got his own closet, may I say. Anyway, the the corrupt American media montage slobbering all over Andrew Cuomo as they do. Cut one, go. David, we're sitting by for Governor Cuomo's By the way, that's the biggest slob of the bunch right there. The prebubescent BS Brian Helter Stelter. Start from the top, please. Cut one, go. David, we're sitting by for Governor Cuomo's press conference, his daily briefing. How would you contrast Cuomo and President Trump's handling of the crisis? Truth versus mendacity. Governor Cuomo um, out there day after day after day. Everything Trump isn't. Honest, direct, brave. Real leadership of the kind the President of the United States should have provided. Governor Cuomo is clearly living in a totally different reality, the actual one, than the president of the United States. Governor Cuomo has become a national leader. For a lot of people, Andrew Cuomo has become the leader of the Democratic Party. He is conveying incredible strength. You spoke to National Guard troops today in a stirring speech that, if I wasn't listening carefully, I thought you would sending soldiers off to war. This has been a remarkable show of leadership by Governor Cuomo in recent days. He's providing hope but not false hope. Governor Cuomo, no. I think, is, is, is one of the heroes on, on the front lines. With all of this adulation that you're getting for doing your job, are you thinking about running for president? Andrew Cuomo, who has a daily television show now uh, and has become, in some ways, the shadow uh, president. Maybe Trump is just a little bit mad that Governor Cuomo has become a kind of acting president. Dealing with hardship actually makes you stronger. That's what Governor Cuomo said earlier today. That's what I'm going to go teach my kids right now at home. What else are you going to teach your kids at home, prebubescent Brian Stelter, Helter Stelter BSer? Uh, anyway, uh, we want a hat tip me to research uh, center for pulling all that together. And so basically, the Attorney General of uh, New York has uh, Letitia, what the hell's her last name again? 
Oh, James. Letitia James. LJ, they like to call her. Uh, she and her office put out this report. Now, what's interesting to me is she has no authority to act. She didn't do anything. Look at this. He did this, this. He violated federal law. He violated state law. He violated the ordinance in, uh, in Sussex County. I mean, look at this guy. He's all over the place. He did. Well, what are you going to do? Well, you know, we got to leave it to the local prosecutors. Well, what is that? Kind of weird. Nonetheless, Letitia James is on the job. She's on the job. I wonder if she'll investigate Joe Biden the way she's been investigating Donald Trump's uh, corporate taxes. No, no, she won't do that. Anyway, so Biden's asked about this uh, during the, uh, the, the bizarre. He gives these, these speeches, and then he takes like four questions. And he's asked about this. And remember, Tara Reid, there was never an investigation, never a report. They had their man, Biden. They were going to nominate him and push him across the finish line no matter what. Even when he didn't know where the finish line was, and was busy tying his loafers. Cut to go. But first, I'd like to start with the news of the day, given back in March, you said that if the investigation confirmed the allegations against Governor Cuomo, then he should resign. So will you now call on him to resign, given the investigator said the 11 women were credible? I stand by that statement. Are you now calling on him to resign? Yes. And if he doesn't resign, do you believe he should be impeached and removed from office? Let's take one thing at a time here. I think he should resign. I understand that the state legislature may decide to impeach. I don't know that for a fact. I've not read all that data. And he's using a photo of you embracing him in his self-defense to say that these are commonplace kind of embraces that he made and the allegations against him. Do you condone that? Look, I'm not going to flyspeck this. I am sure there are some embraces that were totally innocent. Oh, Joe. Joe, 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 Joe. Hair-sniffing Joe. Touchy-feely Joe. Go ahead. But apparently the Attorney General decided there were things that weren't. Mm-hmm. Well, then. Well, let's hear from the Attorney General, Letitia James, at a press conference today. Cut three, go. The independent investigation has concluded that Governor Andrew Cuomo sexually harassed multiple women and in doing so violated federal and state law. Now, this is what amazes me. She's the Attorney General of State. She doesn't have authority to do anything except issue a report? What is that? Go ahead. Specifically, the investigation found that Governor Andrew Cuomo sexually harassed current and former New York State employees by engaging in unwelcome and non-consensual touching and making numerous offensive comments of a suggestive and sexual nature that created a hostile work environment for women. The investigators independently corroborated and substantiated these facts through interviews and evidence, including contemporaneous notes and communications. This evidence will be made available to the public along with the report. Mm -hmm. Cut four, go. Over the course of the five-month investigation, the investigators spoke to 179 individuals, including complainants, 
current and former members of the executive chamber, state troopers, additional state employees, and others who interacted regularly with the governor. In addition, they reviewed more than 74,000 pieces of evidence, including documents, emails, texts, audio files. It's not texts, it's texts. But anyway, go ahead. These interviews and pieces of evidence reveal a deeply disturbing yet clear picture. Governor Cuomo sexually harassed current and former state employees in violation of both federal and state laws. Okay, now you're accusing him of violating federal and state laws. And I bet he violated a whole bunch of them, ladies and gentlemen, but I'm not the prosecutor. So why don't they do something about it? They don't have any authority to do anything about it? What kind of an attorney's general office is it? Seriously. She has stated emphatically he violated both federal and state laws. Okay, I believe her. That's it? Her office is done? Don't you find that weird, Mr. Producer? That's it? You're the attorney general? There's nothing you can do? Go ahead. The Independence investigation found that Governor Cuomo sexually harassed multiple women, many of whom were young women, by engaging in unwanted groping, kisses, hugging, and by making inappropriate comments. And then finally, cut five. Go. The governor and his senior team took actions to retaliate against at least one former employee for coming forward with her story. Okay, there's another violation of state and federal law. Retribution. Nothing? Where's the idiot Attorney General of the United States? Is he around? Is he still still with us? Or is he busy attacking Republican legislatures? Where's the United States Attorney? Where, Where are these people? Where's that idiot, the Manhattan District Attorney? Is he chasing ghosts? Where's that idiot? And how come Letitia James worked with him to go after the uh, CFO of the Trump world, but didn't work with some prosecutor to go after Cuomo? Go ahead. Governor Cuomo's administration fostered a toxic workplace that enabled harassment and created a hostile work environment where staffers did not feel comfortable coming forward with complaints about sexual harassment due to a climate of fear, and given the power dynamics. Well, that's damning. I page through this report online. It's damning. Now, you'll say it's one side. I got it. But it's damning. And I watched Cuomo reply, and that was an incredible embarrassment. I don't know what you do say when you've done all these things, and there's so many people now who are providing information, sworn information. I guess he did the best he could, but showing a bunch of pictures of him kissing people. I mean, okay, what does that prove? I kiss people. I know, but you're accused of taking your hand and putting it up a woman's blouse. That's not kissing somebody. That's not saying pass the coffee. But the Attorney General apparently can't do a damn thing about it except make the allegation. That's a very strange office. I've got a lot more on this. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. 
In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. By the way, these are federal investigators who are providing information to the state attorney general. I don't know what that office does. Ann Clark, Southern District of New York, special investigator. Here in part is what she said today. Cut six, go. Within hours of Ms. Boylan's December 13th, 2020 tweet alleging sexual harassment, key members of the governor's inner circle had obtained confidential memos, ones that were stamped attorney-client privileged. They were primarily about an interaction between Ms. Boylan and an assistant. They then redacted the names of individuals other than Ms. Boylan and started sending the memos to reporters. There was also a proposed letter or op-ed drafted by the governor that went through several drafts. The letter attacked Ms. Boylan for alleged conduct at work, for alleged conduct with men other than the governor, as well as postulating various political conspiracies, including that Ms. Boylan was funded by far-right Republicans and supporters of Donald Trump. Well, let's stop right there. Supporters of Donald Trump. As a matter of fact, as this went on, I seem to recall back then, Mr. Producer, they kept throwing up Donald Trump. So, well, what about Donald Trump? And what about Donald Trump? And these were people on CNN and MSNBC and other big corporate news platforms. Hey, don't forget Trump. And the liberals, even some on our favorite cable network, kept saying, you know, look at Trump. How about we look at Biden right now, by the way? Where, where are the investigations of that guy? I'm just saying that the blanket should be thrown fairly widely, I think. I'll be right back. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Mark Levin, the thunder on the right. Call in now. 877-381-3811. Representative Lee Zeldin, uh, who's been an outstanding congressman. He served in combat. Um, he's still in the reserves. And he's running for governor of New York. Uh, congressman Zeldin, I wanted to get your take on what you heard today from the Attorney General's office and these federal investigators and Governor Cuomo's reply. Mark, it's great to be with you. Brutal day for Andrew Cuomo, and we know that he is a serial abuser. 
Uh, we saw it play out with the deadly nursing home order and cover up today's AG's report, which was devastating talks about being a serial abuser of women, of staff. Uh, it talks about the retaliation, uh, the way that this governor is wired with the bullying, harassment, intimidation and abuse uh, has led to a point where millions of New Yorkers, embarrassed by his conduct, feel like he's been disgracing himself and they want him to go. Uh, we even saw it get to the point today where even the president of the United States is saying that Andrew Cuomo needs to resign. But as you pointed out, he had a rebuttal today. And in his rebuttal, he has the nerve to continue to attack the accusers and the investigators and not account at all. Uh, and he's refusing to resign. The Assembly Speaker here in New York just said in a statement he uh, recently released shortly ago that uh, their conference, this Democratic conference, uh, has lost the support of uh, they do not have faith in, trust in this governor, uh, that they are waiting the materials to be sent over to them from the attorney general. They're going to look to expeditiously wrap up their impeachment investigation. And it looks like they may move forward. We shall see. But today definitely was a devastating day for this governor. You know, Congressman Zeldin, it was shocking that the Federal Department of Justice and their attorney general under Joe Biden uh, refused to investigate uh, Governor Cuomo under the civil rights provision of, of the f of federal law with respect to what took place in these nursing homes. It was viewed as absolutely political pass in order to uh, in order to help the governor. Then we have this, and it looks like the investigators on this matter, at least primarily Southern District of New York investigator, a former federal prosecutor, Letitia James is up there talking about this. Does the Attorney General of New York not have any authority to prosecute people? I mean, I mean, I'm shocked. I mean, she she says she violated federal law, violated state law, and said, "Okay, what are you going to do about it? You're issuing a report." It is a violation of state criminal law when you start talking about the forcible touching. Now, the attorney general also also says that other investigations against this governor are still ongoing, not connected to what was announced today. You pointed out what was really. Uh, upsetting the many, especially the, the victim families all across the state, that the Civil Rights Division of the Department of Justice wasn't going to investigate further this deadly nursing home order and cover-up. I believe that the governor should have resigned if for no other reason the deadly nursing home order and cover-up. He's, he's still walking, and he still kept, he kept fundraising. He said he's not going anywhere. He wants to beat his old man's record for a fourth term. To your point, the attorney general, if she is not going to pursue criminal charges herself directly through her office, there should be a criminal referral. She went out of her way multiple times in today's press conference to say she wants nothing to do with anything criminal. Case closed. They're not doing anything else with it, leaving it to everybody else. So, listen, if it comes down to it, I announced on April 8th, we're four months into a campaign that's been going great. We launched at ZeldonForNewYork.com. Everything's going well. Ultimately, if they leave it to the voters, November 8, 2022, if this governor refuses to resign still, they don't impeach him, there is no indictment, and the Democrats want to figure out how to miracle him onto the ballot as the Democratic candidate, we're going to be waiting, and millions of New Yorkers are going to be waiting to give him the boot November 8, 2022. He has to go. 
And you, but you agree with me. I'm not, you know, familiar with the intricacies of how the attorney general's office operates in New York, but the idea that the attorney general announces that he committed federal and state crimes, offenses, and then just issues the report and says, okay, maybe a local prosecutor can pick it up. I, I mean, I've, I've seen attorneys general in New York far more aggressive than that. I don't quite get it. Do you get it? Yeah. No, I, I, I don't get it. And uh, the report is saying the attorney general is accusing this governor of, of touching that is unwanted. And that's assault about at a minimum. Grabbing- that's assault. So, correct. In, in New York, it's a Class A misdemeanor forcible touching that carries a punishment up to one year in jail and registering the sex offender registry. And this attorney general doesn't want any part of it. If, if the AG says, I don't want my office to go after this, at the very least, why not be participating in the process of referring criminal charges with your evidence? You had all these depositions you collected all of the, these documents, why would you not be issuing criminal referral and wanting there to be accountability from another level of, off, of government, even if you're not willing to go after it yourself? By the way, this attorney general needs to run herself next year, whether she runs for attorney general or she runs for governor. You know, we were talking about the deadly nursing home owner and cover-up. We didn't reference that they're under investigation for using a taxpayer-funded staff to help write a $5.1 million self-congratulatory book deal. We didn't even get into the, the testing preferential treatment for his family at private residence done by state health department officials. Samples moved to the front of the lab. So there's so much going on on so many different levels. This attorney general, if she's not aggressive enough, and you're right, you've seen other AGs being far more aggressive. If she's not aggressive enough, she's going to get accused of a cover-up. I've seen her more aggressive. She ties in with in Manhattan with the DA Vance, who hates Trump, and says, we're going to conduct a joint criminal investigation. They conduct a joint criminal investigation. Vance, in my view, unfairly, uh, causes uh, the CFO to be indicted. She didn't even do that. She didn't even say, I'm going to conduct joint investigations with DAs and local prosecutors. Uh, she brings in a couple of feds, her own office, they inv- and they issue a report. Okay, now they're flopping it into the state legislature and hoping they impeach, you know, Cuomo and remove him and so forth. But she is the leading prosecutor in the state of New York. Again, I may not understand this, but does the attorney general, the attorney general office, not have the power to prosecute people? It just seems weird to me. The, the, the AG definitely does have power to go forward here. You pointed out a great example, and the AG has been more aggressive when she was running for office she said i mean her platform far above anything else that was coming out of her mouth at any other campaign events or pledges was that she was going to be prosecuting the president the sitting president of the united states and she didn't even know what it was going to be for Mm. but it was a single issue campaign elect me attorney general and i will prosecute president donald trump and now when the shoe is on the other foot and, you're, and it's a little too close for comfort here with allies in your own party, uh, that's where she drew the line. I mean, she, she found, as a consequence of her investigation, she concluded that there was a violation of a criminal statute. When you talk about there being forcible touching, and they described it in detail today, yes. this isn't even buried in some report. They were talking mm-hmm. about it. No, yeah. And she, and it, she it, pub- it, at the press... No, and at the press event... 
She said he violated multiple federal and state statutes. And again, we're scratching our heads. Okay, what 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 are you the the uh, the office of investigations or the or the attorney general's office? You do an investigation, and then you decide on a prosecution. You don't do an investigation and say I leave it up to other people, particularly when you're accusing somebody of criminal activity. Uh, but uh, apparently that's the way. It's just bizarre. It's bizarre, and she's being yeah, praised. I, and I'm going, what are you praising her for? I think she wants somebody else to do the dirty work. She wants to be able to claim a high road here, somehow be on top of a, a white horse where you know maybe the district attorney in Albany County is the one pursuing criminal charges, and she doesn't have to be part of it. But you just you got to do what's right. And all these different investigations go on for all different types of things. She's trying to navigate her own political course, I guess. You know, she has ambitions, everybody knows, to be the governor herself. She has a problem, by the way, where she's, she's actually much further to the left than Andrew Cuomo is. So yeah, she's a, she's day, a diehard kook. I don't think that BLM anti-law enforcement stuff is going to play well. This is a state that that right now is is seeing it just last weekend we had 18 shootings saturday night there was one mass shooting with three different gang members uh ended up being shot and, and other victims as well all over new york city this is a state right now that wants to repeal cashless bail they want to keep qualified immunity they want to support law enforcement more not less i've been talking about the need to pass a, a law enforcement bill of rights statewide recognize their inherent right of self-defense give them the tools they need to do their job, but you get the likes of a Tish James and an AOC and their constituency and their politics and their ideology is one that erodes public safety, attacks law enforcement. It's a pro-criminal agenda. And Andrew. Uh-oh. We just lost Congressman. Oh, gee, is not looking to give it. Congressman, we're going to get try and get you back. I hope you'll stick with us a few more minutes after the break. We're going to take a break, try and, try and get the congressman back. I'll be right back. Lovin. Representative Lee Zeldin, I, I raise this issue of why just issue a report and not take actual prosecutorial action against the governor. And Letitia James has refused to do so. And I want to read something to you from her website. Victims of sexual harassment are often too afraid or embarrassed to come forward. It's important that all workers know that there is help available for those who believe they are being illegally targeted. I'm committed to equality in the workplace and to the enforcement of federal, state, and local laws that give employees the right to be free from sexual harassment. If you have any questions about harassment and discrimination in the workplace, please contact my office's Civil Rights Bureau. Now, she said this today emphatically. Cut four. Go. Over the course of the five-month investigation, the investigators spoke to 179 individuals including complainants, current and former members of the executive chamber, state troopers, additional state employees, and others who interacted regularly with the governor. In addition, they reviewed more than 74,000 pieces of evidence, including documents, emails, texts, 
audio files and pictures. These interviews and pieces of evidence reveal a deeply disturbing yet clear picture. Governor Cuomo sexually harassed current and former state employees in violation of both federal and state laws. In violation of both federal and state laws. Go ahead. All right. The independent investigation found that Governor Cuomo sexually harassed multiple women, many of whom were young women, by engaging in unwanted groping, kisses, hugging, and by making inappropriate comments. Now, Congressman Zeldin, if I were the Attorney General, and this is what my investigators, working with federal investigators, found... I would have brought charges. I would have sought charges. I don't care if he's governor. I don't care what he is. She has made out, or they made out, an overwhelming case of illegality in numerous instances. And, and, and to say, okay, we've done the report, and it's now up to a local prosecutor. Maybe that's the way it works there. Maybe not. But she didn't bring in any local prosecutor the way she did Vance in Manhattan a month or two ago. And I still think that this, this is really an enormous disservice. You have a man in the, uh, in the governor's office who's a reprobate, or worse. Or worse. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, she pointed out that the district attorney for Albany had a case referred to that, that office, that local county DA's office, by the executive branch, but not from the attorney general. The attorney general made a point of saying that she did not want to do anything related to the criminal aspect here. I mean, it, this, this isn't up for you know, interpretation or debate. She specifically said a few times she wanted no piece of the criminal aspect of it. She said, case closed. I have nothing else to do here. And I think she's going to end up having to account for it because I was hearing from people all day long saying, well, hold on a second, exactly what you just stated why isn't she pursuing anything criminally against him? There are a whole lot of people who say not only should he be leaving office, but he should be pr- prosecuted. You had people calling for his, his arrest today. That should be the next stage when the evidence produced ends up meeting the elements of a crime for what is forcible touching, touching under the criminal statute of New York State. I mean, it's one thing to remove a governor. It's one thing for him to resign. I get that. And he ought to. If he doesn't resign, he ought to be removed. That said, that does not resolve uh, what the state law is and the federal law is. She's not investigating him for impeachment purposes. She's not investigating him for resignation purposes. It's her job and that office job to see if any laws were violated. Now, if she doesn't think she has the authority to bring any cases, then she should have brought in one or two or three of those DAs who do and partnered with them, as I say, as she did with Vance. But she didn't do any of that, did she? No, she, she didn't, and she's punting, wanting somebody else to pick up the ball, but she's not asking somebody else to pick up the ball. She's saying she wants nothing to do with it. This doesn't bode well, by the way, for the other investigation that's going on into the deadly nursing home order and cover-up. Will you end up at the end of that investigation with a determination by the attorney general saying, yeah, the, the nursing home order ended up leading to the loss of life, but even though we have found a violation of law in with how this order and cover-up played out. We're just not going to do anything about it. And, yeah, he used his taxpayer-funded staff to help write his self-congratulatory book, and, and that's a violation of this law. And, yeah, the COVID testing preferential treatment for his family, that was a violation of this other law. 
but we're not going to do anything about it. So it doesn't bode well for all these other investigations that a whole lot of other people are actually even more passionate about. If people want to support you in New York and outside of New York to get a new governor and get a governor from another party who will bring a different perspective to that office, where do they go, Congressman Zeldin? My website is zeldinfornewyork.com, Z-E-L-D-I-N-F-O-R, New York spelled out, all one words, uh, no dots, no dashes, zeldinfornewyork.com. You could chip in $5, $10, $20. We're on social media. Uh, any help at all. We actually outraised Governor Cuomo in our first three months of this race. We raised over $4 million. In the last six months, the incumbent three-term governor, Andrew Cuomo, only raised $2.3 million. So we're far out raising him, triple the pace, half the time, but we got to keep it up because this is New York. We can't take anything for granted. Losing is not an option. We have to save our state. It's going to result by everybody doing everything in their power. If everybody everywhere is all in, this is the final chapter of Andrew Cuomo's time in office. All right, Representative Lee Zeldin, thank you, sir, and good luck to you very much. Thank you, Mark. All right, take care of yourself. So we've covered this. What Cuomo's accused of is online. It's pretty vile, vicious, horrific stuff over a course of time. Multiple women... If you watched, his, uh, his, his TV reply was really quite appalling. Absolutely appalling. He seems like a psycho, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, the Democrat legislature, particularly the Assembly, has been dragging its feet on impeachment. Now I think uh, the tide has turned. So uh, what really needs to happen is the President of the Senate and the uh, Speaker to, to go to uh, the Governor's mansion and tell him uh, either you resign or we're going to remove you that said that has nothing to do with holding this man responsible for his violations if any of you did anything close to what this man has done you would be prosecuted i'll be right back he's here he's here Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin, our number, 877-381-3811, a little housekeeping, but it's fun. What you'll hear tomorrow, well, you won't hear it unless I say it, actually, is that uh, in three weeks' time we sold to you 670,000 copies, all forms, of American Marxism. In three weeks, 670,000 on our way to one million. And that's because of you. That's because of you. Now, it's impossible for me to thank all the people in radio who have been so supportive program directors and so forth. Not all of them, but most of them. But on Fox in particular, I want to thank the folks who've had me on their programs. Uh, Some have not. That's up to them. That's perfectly fine. But a number have. Of course, Sean Hannity, like a brother. Fox and Friends, Ducey and Ainsley and Kilmeade, they're terrific. Fox and Friends Weekend, Pete and Will and Campo Stuffy, 
great people. Martha McCullum, terrific. Brett Baer, good guy. Jesse Waters, really terrific. Judge Janine, thank you, great. Maria Bartiroma, terrific. I'm going to be on Gutfeld Friday, if you can believe that. Good man, he's solid as a rock. Also, at the 7 p.m. hour, Hegseth again and Kilmeade again. So we want to thank them. Those are the folks at Fox that I can remember who've had me on their program to discuss this enormously important topic, American Marxism. So that's about half the host. That's pretty good, I think, don't you, Mr. Producer? Now, I've often talked to you about backbenchers in radio. In many cases, I do it tongue-in-cheek, you know. Many cases. But not always. And um, Friday, I had mentioned that Joe Biden should be impeached for what's going on on the border. And that no Republicans mention it. The word impeachment never crosses their lips. Because what's going on the border is an intentional violation of federal immigration law. And the chaos and the inhumanity that it's causing is really unbelievable. And Biden doesn't intend to do anything to stop it. So I said, if he's not going to be impeached, I mean, they ought to at least raise the impeachment issue. And so there they come, the backbenchers. Actually, one. One low IQ, big mouth buffoon. Who obviously stalks me in this program. Sometimes I wonder why that one percent, they're the one percenters, not the 99 percent who are good men, good women. Sometimes I wonder why the one percenters, or even on radio, if you're going to regurgitate what somebody else says, what's your point? Anyway, I just wanted to mention that. He knows who he is. I know who he is. Yes, Joe Biden, there should be an investigation now into impeaching Joe Biden, or at least calls by Republicans to begin to process. Because what's going on on the southern border is a, is a catastrophe created by Joe Biden, his party, and his administration. Absolute catastrophe. It's intentional. There's simply no question about it. You know, I came across this. This is sort of under the radar, but it's important. And this is from the Washington Times, Alex Swear. Progressives call for new probe impeachment of Justice Kavanaugh. See, they use impeachment all the time. We, shh, don't, no, no, don't say it. Don't say impeachment. No. No. Well, look what Biden said. No, don't say it. You know why this is being done? They know they don't have a chance Well, maybe they do, given Pelosi and Schumer. But that said, this is to intimidate a a sitting justice. I am no fan of Kavanaugh's. I've never been a fan of Kavanaugh's. I came to his defense when they attacked him. But I warned you folks that he simply does not have the record that suggests he's a reliable constitutionalist. A a longtime friend of mine, a federal district judge in Washington, called me and said, what do I have against Kavanaugh? They're friends. I said, I have nothing against Kavanaugh. Nothing personal with me, but it's obvious. It's obvious. His tax argument in the Obama case was used by Roberts and the four, uh, the four left-wing amigos on there uh, to, uh, to hold up the Obama case. And that's the one major case this guy's ruled on in 15 years on an appellate court. 
And that is a bad, bad sign. It is to me. So Kavanaugh's weak. And he's subject to pressure. And the uh, American Marxists have figured that out. So the American Humanist Association and Freedom From Religion Foundation claim that Kavanaugh may have lied during his Senate confirmation hearings on sexual assault allegations, and that's impeachable conduct. So they're going to keep stirring the pot. They're going to keep throwing this at the guy who's obviously innocent. He's obvious. All these so-called witnesses were a joke. Did I say joke? I said joke. Joke. And the media were involved, and Kamala Harris and the Democrat Party were involved. You know, the usual mob. That said, they're threatening him. They're threatening him to influence the way he rules. That's exactly what they're doing. That's their hope. So again, these things are a little under the radar, and I wanted to bring it to your attention. Now, something that's not under the radar is over a trillion dollars that Congress wants to spend. On your behalf, of course, infrastructure. These members of Congress who support this $1 to $1.2 trillion expense, and by the way, now that people have looked at the numbers, they say it's actually close to $2 trillion. And they look at what the Democrats want to follow up with, the 3.5, it's actually 5.5 trillion, because they lie. They're all a bunch of Ponzi's. That's what they are. They lie. This guy, Cassidy from Louisiana, this guy is a punk. He is a punk. He is unhinged emotionally, in my humble opinion, and a very stupid man. I don't care if he's a doctor or not. He's a very, very stupid man. And there was a Washington Compost article out the other day explaining all the ins and outs. All the ins and outs about how, uh, how this deal came to be. And of course, Cassidy was involved. Remember, Cassidy voted for Trump's impeachment the second time. Genius. He's going to impeach a private citizen. Genius. Ladies and gentlemen, there is all kinds of bad stuff in here. They want you to think it's for your roads and your bicycle paths and so forth, which would be bad enough. But there's all kinds of bad stuff in here. And I want to talk to you about this. And one of the groups that actually read this thing, Americans for Tax Reform, and they found a lot of bad stuff in here. Ten perplexing items in the bipartisan bill. Number one, woke trucking. The bill attempts to get women interested in trucking careers. This is just the weird stuff. Two, encourages children to walk or bike to school in order to reduce fuel consumption and air pollution. Three, spends a whopping $5 billion on clean school buses and zero-emission school buses. Four, fortune spent. Billions. To improve Amtrak. And by the way, that includes the food and beverage experience. $7.5 billion for a network of electric vehicle charging stations. Can't imagine what the rioters will do with that, Mr. Producer. I assume they'll remove them. Six, spends $10 million on pollution-friendly practices. And what would those be? Half a billion to fund colder, more porous pavements in our cities. This is a big one. Number eight, lays the groundwork for a vehicle miles travel tax. 
a vehicle miles travel tax called a VMT. While a VMT is widely unpopular, thus barring its inclusion in this specific bill, legislators attempt to get as close as they can. Section 13002, the bill establishes a national motor vehicle per mile user fee pilot, which is supposed to demonstrate how a per mile user fee could, quote, restore and maintain the long-term solvency of the highway trust fund because, you know, they already broke into the trust fund and stole all the money out of it. You know, those taxes you pay every time you fill up your car, it's supposed to go to the highway trust fund. Well, they stole it. And improve and maintain the surface transportation system. This is a national pilot. It would cost $50 million over the next five years. Now, in Section 13001, the bill incentivizes states to establish pilot programs for user fees, also, through a grant program, another $75 million, these programs lay the groundwork for what could end up being an incredibly regressive, costly tax through the American public. How better to get people to stop driving to massively increase the price of fuel? Through taxes. And the more you drive, the more taxes you'll pay. Well, wait a minute. My job's, you know, 50 miles away. Too bad. Maybe you should move into a studio apartment. But I have 17 and a half kids. It doesn't matter. Contains what appears to be many, many earmarks. Let me hit a couple. Mississippi River and tributaries, $808 million. This is just some of them. Um, the Delta Region Authority, $150 million. The Denali Commission. We like the Denali Commission, don't we, Mr. Producer? But uh, how come not on a, I'm not on the Denali Commission? $150 million. Murkowski got that. The Northern Border Regional Commission, $150 million. The Southeast Crescent Regional Commission, $5 million. The Southwest Border Regional Commission, $1.25 million. And $1.7 billion to remain available until expended for geographic programs. Chesapeake Bay, San Francisco Bay, Great Lakes Restoration, and on and on and on and on. Wait a minute, I thought we were talking about roads and highways. No, we're not. They're liars. And it doesn't pay for itself. They lied about that too. As the Tax Foundation said, you got billions and billions, tens of billions in here that are kind of made up. You're just doing predictions about economic growth. You have to understand these people, if they're in the private sector, they'd be arrested. If they were financial advisors, if they were accountants, they were tax lawyers, they'd be going to prison for the rest of their lives. But because they're politicians, they're righteous, and they're bipartisan. They're bipartisan, Mr. Bidou. LGBTQB, I think it would be. Bipartisan. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let me say this to you. I think one of the reasons American Marxism is so popular among you folks, those of you who have acquired it, those of you who are thinking about acquiring it, is because there are a lot of solutions in here. I'm going to give you some examples. It lays out the case. Let's talk about the border. It's a disaster. Now, we don't run federal immigration law. We don't. The states don't run federal immigration call. We had a bad Supreme Court decision some years back 
5 to 4, written by Anthony Kennedy, which the Attorney General of the United States is relying on to try and undermine the things that the governor of Texas is is, uh, trying to do. But there are things that can be done. If you're a rancher on the border, if you're a farmer on the border, if your property is being damaged, sue the federal government. If you get COVID because the federal government's bringing in people into this country who have this virus and you can somehow trace it back, sue the federal government. If you run a school system and the federal government's dropping illegal aliens into your community, there's no heads up and they're just telling you to educate them, sue the federal government for reimbursement. We need to become litigious. Now, obviously, every one of us can't bring a class action suit. The courts are not going to entertain that sort of thing. I'm saying if you can find causation to property damage, to physical damage, uh, unfortunately, to assault and battery, robbery, those sorts of things, car stealing, uh, if your school system is overwhelmed and you can't handle the numbers, your facilities and so forth, Sue the federal government. Now, you may win, you may lose. But we have to overwhelm the system. We have to overwhelm the people who are purposely doing these things. That's what we need to do. There are legal groups across this country who will assist you. Legal groups across this country who will assist you. If you work on the Border Patrol or if you're in the border patrol and work on the border, and you catch this virus as a result of what you're doing, sue your employer. Emotional distress, and on and on and on. Sue them. If you are injured as a result of a physical assault by an alien, sue your employer. And your union should assist you. The courts are not just open to the American Marxists. They're open to you too. And every single judge is an leftist. And we need to we need to be creative in the lawsuits we bring. We need to be aggressive in the lawsuits we bring. Just as they were in the 1960s and 70s during the civil rights movement, your liberty, the nation's sovereignty. These are civil rights issues as much as anything else's. So I don't just preach to you. There's a lot of information in the book that I think is the requisite amount of information that's necessary to understand the forces we're dealing with. But I also say it's time for offense. Peaceful, legitimate, but offense. Steal some of their strategies. Steal some of their strategies. Even think about Reagan. How did he destroy the Soviet Union? He destroyed the Soviet Union economically. When we depose enough of these officials, when we sue enough of these organizations, same with these organizations, these front groups, they're assisting people to violate our laws. A lot of them have tax standards and status. They can be challenged. You can file complaints against them too. 
I hope you will acquire your copy of American Marxism, folks. We need to get moving and moving fast. American Revolution starts here. The Mark Levin Show. Call in at 877-381-3811. I share your, your, your upset and your frustration, ladies and gentlemen. I really do. I didn't come to radio as a professional radio host. I didn't spend the first third or half of my life doing radio. I was and I'm an activist. I'm mission-oriented. When I was president of Landmark Legal Foundation, we have a great president now, Pete Hutchison. I was chairman of Landmark. I am now Legal Foundation. Before that, running for office and winning my school board. Why? why? Because to fight these injustices, to fight these attacks on individual liberty, it's in my heart. It's in my soul. It's in your heart. It's in your soul. We come at it at different ages and in different ways, but here we are, together. And so I just decided it's important to talk about these things, but talk and talk and talk gets us nowhere. We need to know more about what's going on. We need to know the foundation of these movements that are against us. We need to know who's behind it. We need to figure out who it is we're going to confront and how we're going to confront them. It's not enough to just frustrate people and stress people out. It's just not enough. And that's why I've been part of the Tea Party movement and the Reagan Revolution. I defended Donald Trump and continue to defend him. He deserves it. What's happening to this country at the local, state, and federal level? 20 hours a day, that's my focus. This book, American Marxism, I can be like most of the others. I didn't have to write this book. I don't have ghostwriters. I don't have co-authors. It's just, I think, the most profound and important way to get the message across. The written word has power. It has power. Whether it's a matter of faith, strategy, military, I love radio. It's the favorite thing I do. But a broadcast comes and goes. It comes and goes. If I said to you, what did I say three months ago on a Tuesday, whatever day? Who the hell knows? Who the hell cares, right? But the written word has some level of permanence. It's something you can carry around with you. It's something you can read from. It's something that you can communicate to your fellow patriots. And it is important to have strategies and tactics. It's important to understand exactly who and what we're up against, rather than constantly wringing our hands day after day, show after show, host after host. I'm being honest with you. I'm not making friends here. I got it. I got it. I understand. I'm different. A couple of months ago, I brought up that I thought where we're headed in this country with uh, vaccine passports and a variety of other data that are kept on you, health data and so forth, tax data, 
government has a lot of data on you. A lot. Was this Chinese-style social credit system. You remember that, Mr. Producer? I said, it's coming. It's coming because, you see, it's the, it's the good for the community to know all about your health and your finances and all the rest of it. Except, of course, when you're hiring somebody, if they committed a crime, that you're not allowed to know. But otherwise, they want to know all about you. The time will come when they'll want to know how many guns you have. Well, you know what? They already know how many guns you have. They want to know about your carbon footprint and how many cars you have and whether you should have cars. Why do you think they want, to, they want to tax your mileage? They want to keep track of what you're doing. It's mobility. It's power. Why do you think they push their Green New Deal? Because under the rubric of Green New Deal, you can do any damn thing you want. Remember they talked early on during this virus. We need to be able to track everybody to see where they're going and how they're affecting other people. Remember all that? Then it's the vaccine. We need vaccine passports to allow people to do X, Y, Z. Now we have mayors and governors and the president saying, talking about if you're not vaccinated, this, 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 and this should happen to you. It's always about surrendering your liberty and your property. Always. Because the government does such a swell job in everything it touches. They just need a little bit more information, a little bit more control, a little bit more your liberty, a little bit more your property. So I pointed out, you look at this communist Chinese social credit system. And I said, I think this is where we're going. And I really believe it. Well, now there's a piece in The Hill by Kristen Tate, opinion contributor. She apparently agrees with me. Coming soon, America's own social credit system. The new domestic war on terror kicked off by the riot on January 6th has prompted several web giants to unveil predecessors to what effectively could become a soft social credit system by the end of this decade. As the New Englanders like to say, relying on an indirect hand from Washington, our social betters in corporate America will attempt to force the most profound changes our society has ever seen during the Internet era. China's social credit system is a combination of government and business surveillance. They give citizens a score that can restrict the ability of individuals to take actions, such as purchasing plane tickets, acquiring property, or taking loans because of behaviors. Given the position of several major American companies, a similar system may be coming here sooner than you think. Last week, PayPal announced a partnership with the left-wing, I will say, radical Southern Poverty Law Center to investigate the role of white supremacists and and, uh, propagators of anti-government rhetoric, subjective labels that potentially could impact a large number of groups of people using their service. PayPal says the collected information will be shared with other financial firms and politicians. Facebook's taking similar measures, recently introducing messages that ask users to stitch on their potentially extremist friends, which, considering the platform bias, seems mainly to target the political right. At the same time, Facebook and Microsoft are working with several other web giants and the United Nations on database to block potential extremist content. That's kind of an irony. The UN is filled with genocidal maniacs. The actions of these major companies may seem logical in an internet riddled with scams and crime. After all, nobody will defend far-right militias 
or white supremacist groups using these platforms for their odious goals. But the same issue with government censorship exists with corporate censorship. If there's a line, who draws it? Will the distinction between mundane politics and extremism be, I'll know it when I see it. And this is a big deal. Because we know this is how the American Marxists operate. We know this is how the corporatists operate. Temporary programs are never temporary. Taxes are always being expanded. Property is always being confiscated under some ruse. The implications of these crackdown efforts will be significantly more broad than just prohibiting Donald Trump from tweeting at 3 a.m. Young people cannot effectively function in society blocked from using Facebook, Twitter, Gmail, Uber, Amazon, PayPal, Venmo, and other financial transaction systems. Some banking platforms already have announced a ban on certain legal purchases, such as firearms. The growth of such restrictions, which will only accelerate with support from usually left-wing politicians, could create a system which the individuals who do not hold certain political views can be blocked from polite society and left unable to make a living. All right, I've read enough. We've talked about this. I suggested months ago that this is where we're headed, and this is where we're headed. This is where we're headed. We have the medical fascists now. We need to keep collecting data, data, which most of which they ignore, of course. We need to collect data. We need to know who's doing what. The same will be said about climate. We need to know where people are going. That's why we need to tax them per mile. Uh, We need to know uh, how many cars they have, how much fuel they use. Oh, it's just for the census, of course. That's another thing, census report. I get these endless census reports coming. It's constant, these big, thick reports. How much do you make? How many family members do you have? Any this, any that? That's not, these are not even legitimate questions. But you better answer them, boy, or we're sending you to the special jail we have in Washington, D.C. You must be a January Sixer. No, not really. Oh, you must be. You get the point. You get the point. I wrote in Liberty and Tyranny, I read you a little bit of it about three, two weeks ago, where I said, long before this virus was on the scene, 12 and a half years ago, the federal government uses health and safety urgent uh, matters, quote-unquote emergencies, to seize power. And it doesn't give it back. What in the world do you think climate change is all about? What in the world do you think critical race theory is all about? And all the rest of it. It's targeting you as the individual. So it's very, very important to understand exactly what's going on. I don't mean the gibberish talk. Exactly what's going on beyond the surface level. Where this stuff comes from, who's pushing it and then develop strategies and tactics to push back. Otherwise, we lose. We lose. The Roman Empire is gone. Athens is gone. The British Empire, all intents and purposes, is gone. Communist China is on the rise. It happens. We've read about it. We've heard about it. It happens. And it's happening right now. Right now, I notice for most of the day, the number two book on Amazon.com was this guy, uh, Vindman. Remember Colonel Vindman? Well, he has a book out. 
And the radical left can't buy enough of it. But the number one book on Amazon.com still right now as I speak is American Marxism, and that's thanks to you. It's thanks to you. The goal is to get to a million. I figure when we have a million-person army of patriots who will use these strategies and tactics as well as additional strategies and tactics, and no, for the disgusting, corrupt media, we're not talking about violence. You defend violence. But that we can use the legal system, we can use the FOIA system, we can use the tax system, we can use all these systems that have been used against us, against them. It doesn't require brain surgery, it requires courage, it requires time, it requires some resources. And there's an num- enormous number of groups and individuals, links that I provide that can help you. Now you've heard me talk about this for some time. At some point, I have to stop talking about it, and all of you need to be talking about it. You, in our villages, in our townships, in the suburbs, in the cities, in blue states, in red states, in purple states, you need to be the ones taking lead, taking charge, speaking out, talking to your neighbors when you walk the dog, which is what I do, or when you go to a Costco and you see a friend, or anywhere. When you go to a a school board meeting. Bring the book with you. Hold it up. Show them you're not, gonna, you're not afraid of them. And you're not afraid of saying what's going on in this country. I'll be right back. Mark in. Let's go to Howard uh, in Rockville, Maryland, on the great WMAO. Howard, how are you? I'm good, Mark. I want to thank you for helping us save this great country. You're a national treasure. Oh, wow. Thank you. Here's what I'm doing uh, with American Marxism. Uh, I've created what uh, we called a uh, book challenge with my um, millennial daughter and two others. And uh, what I've done is I've uh, purchased from Amazon copies of American Marxism for my daughter and the two other people, and they have promised to read the book, and they are sending me books that I have promised to read. So I'm kind of hoping that uh, I'll get uh, at least one of them will send me or two of them will send me the same book so I don't end up having to read three books uh, that they're sending. Mm-hmm. But um, that's what I'm trying to do to see if uh, I don't know if it's a, a waste of time trying to persuade these people, but um, that's what I'm trying to do. I think that's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. If they'll read it, and I think and I think you'll agree with me for those parents and grandparents whose kids haven't gone to college yet, uh, you might want to get them the book before they get there, so they can read it and have some knowledge yeah. about what what's going to face them. And same with high school. You agree with me on that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I I know for sure two of the people will read the book, and Mm -hmm. I have promised to read their books regardless of what they send me. And Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to talk about it afterwards. So, um, you know, that's what I'm trying, and uh, hopefully I'll be helpful. I think it's a brilliant idea. And, uh, Howard, don't hang up. We want to send you a signed copy of American Marxism. I want to thank you very much. It's a very creative idea. It's a good way to get your kid or your grandkid to read it if they're already uh, 
kind of moving to the dark side or over on the dark side. But I would also suggest before they get there, that is college or university or even high school, uh, you might want to inform them and alert them to what's going on. You're the greatest teacher they have. You're the most important person in their life. And I've, I've made this available so you can grab it on Amazon or anywhere else. I'll see you in a minute. here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, Our friends at Breitbart, they haven't forgotten Cuber. People say, why do you call it Cuber? Because the idiot senator from Vermont. Well, there's two of them. But the Marxist, Bernie Sanders, calls it Cuber. That's why. And he would know. Over at Breitbart, human rights activists confirm one thousand plus arrests and disappearances since July 11 in Cuba. The Cuban Observatory for Human Rights, a non-governmental organization that tracks detentions on the island, documented over 1,000 disappearances or arrests in Cuba between July 11, the day nationwide protests began on the island, and August 1. You know, I got to say this. Do we have a human rights place organization in America that's tracking where all the January 6th people are, Mr. Producer? How many are in custody? Do we even know? I don't think we know. How many are detained? Members of Congress sought to go over to that jail and to get in and to meet them and see what's going on, and they were prevented. Much like Cuba, this Biden administration. The July 11 protest triggered a global rallying cry for international action to end the 62-year-old Castro regime which continues to maintain a stranglehold on the island, despite attempts to portray President Miguel Diaz-Canel as a new leader from the Castro family rulers embedded in the Communist Party's most powerful military position. You know, is anybody else talking about Cuba tonight or today? No. It's flashing a pan and we move on. People over there are suffering. People over there have been murdered. People over there are being tortured. People over there are in jails. But don't worry about it. I'll give you another one. Don't worry about it. U.S. consults Britain, Romania, Israel over alleged Iranian strike rules out ditching nuclear deal. I don't even know what this is from. It doesn't print out the name. Ah, they all say the same damn thing. The White House, listen to this. The White House is now consulting with Britain, Romania, and Israel in the wake of the alleged Iranian drone strike on an oil tanker in the Gulf of Oman that killed two, but the administration still ruling out ending nuclear deal negotiations with Iran. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said, uh, predicted a collective response from the U.S., U.K., Romania, and Israel following the deadly July 29 attack on the Israeli managed tanker. So the Islamo-Nazi regime in Tehran attacks the tanker. It's under an Israeli flag. A Romanian is killed. A British national is killed. And the Biden administration is now consulting with the British, the Romanians, and the Israelis on what to do. Now I have two questions for you. If Donald Trump were president of the United States, do you think he'd be consulting with Romania and Britain? 
If Benjamin Netanyahu was still Prime Minister of Israel, you think he'd be consulting with anybody? Don't you think the response would be quick and hard? I told you this, Neftali Bennett was a fraud. He's a fraud. Lapid's a fraud. The whole crowd's a fraud. I'm waiting for the Trump-era individuals involved in the Israeli-United States relations to start talking out, to start speaking out and condemning this, this Biden administration appeasement and sellout. But alas, not much. And Senator Ted Cruz had a hearing today about education. Tremendous senator. Oh, by the way, Joe Biden during his uh, briefer, uh, one of the things he did is he condemned Texas and Florida. He said uh, some percentage, one-third or half or whatever it was, of the new COVID cases were in Texas and Florida. And then, of course, like the usual lapdogs, the, uh, the fools in the media, throw him a softball. He hits it, shockingly. And they say to him, uh, what do you say to the governor of Florida and Texas about their policies? And, of course, he condemns them. He condemns them. Now, the idiot should have said, uh, could it be, Mr. President, because of the open borders and people coming across who have this virus and have the Delta variant and other diseases because we don't have testing on the border right on the spot? You're allowing hundreds of thousands of people into the United States, not even giving them court dates. And so since Texas is right there and many people are going to Florida, don't you think you might be contributing to this? No. That's not what was asked. Now, we have P- Peter Ducey. I want to get to this before I get to Ted Cruz. I'll get to Ted, because he deserves to be gotten to. He made a good statement. I'm looking for the cut, Mr. Producer. Cut 22. Wow, we have a lot of cuts today. I want you to listen to this. Cut 22, and then you'll hear at the end when Peter Ducey tries to get his second question, and another reporter cuts him off. It's the Praetorian Guard. That's what they are. Cut 22. Go. I have a question about something that you just said. I'm sure you do. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you just said there is no wall high enough and no ocean wide enough to protect us from the virus. So what is the thinking behind letting untested and unvaccinated migrants cross the southern border into U.S. cities in record numbers? There is What we're doing, we have not withdrawn the order that is sometimes critical or criticized, saying that unvaccinated people should be go back across the border. All right, stop. So in other words, the way it's supposed to work, if you're unvaccinated or untested, you should be deported. But ladies and gentlemen, he says, I haven't withdrawn the rule. I know, but you've effectively destroyed the rule. You've effectively destroyed the rule. You don't know who's coming across the border, and we're finding scores of people who have the virus and almost nobody's been tested. So you've effectively destroyed the rule the way you're destroying ICE and the Border Patrol and the wall. Go ahead. Children is a different story because there's that's the most humane thing to do is to test them and to treat them and not send them back alone. No, it's not. The most humane thing to do is send them back to their families, which is what Donald Trump was doing. That's the most humane thing to do. I told you yesterday, NBC even had to report it. It was handed to them, audio and so forth. 
Minors are being molested and abused by people hired by this government or potentially working for this government in these facilities. And nobody gives a damn. And nobody followed up with Biden on that. Why? Because they don't allow it. He only gets like four or five questions. The press is a gaggle. They're all yelling. They all want to get in. They all want to say, what do you say about Governor DeSantis and Governor Abbott? You know, wow, what a question. Aren't you a genius, you idiot? Terrible. All right, we're moving fast. It's the last hour. We have a great guest coming up in minutes. My buddy Ben Shapiro. But before that, Senator Ted Cruz at a hearing today on the cost of education at universities and colleges, among other places. Why is it going up so fast? Cut 12, go. Today's student loan bracket, and it is a racket, I think is a powerful example of rent-seeking. The people who are losing are the working men and women of this country. And they're losing on multiple fronts. Number one, they're losing because the cost of education is skyrocketing. And the cost of education skyrocketing is a direct result of policies the federal government has put in place. We've heard the stats today about the cost of education. Today, the cost of college tuition is 31 times more than it was in 1970. Yeah. So what should we do about that, ladies and gentlemen? Go to the back of American Marxism. I specifically target, among others, colleges and universities and how we address this. Cut 13, go. Our universities don't teach anymore. They are instead paid sinecures for people who go and work for the government. And by the way, they have become among the biggest donors to Democrats. It is striking just how many employees of public universities are massive Democratic donors to each of the senators up here. There's a chart I tweeted up some some time ago comparing the top donors to Donald Trump to the top donors of Joe Biden. Strikingly enough, among the top donors to Joe Biden were universities and big tech. In fact, according to this bubble chart, the biggest group of donors for Joe Biden were employees of the University of California. They actually, more, more, more than employees of Google, which was right behind, more than Amazon. Big education supports Democrats. And what are Democrats now saying? We're going to loan to, massive loans to you. We're going to drive up the cost. And now we're going to forgive that debt, which shifts all the cost to the taxpayers. He's exactly right. We've talked about this, but he has a very concise and succinct way of putting it. And of course, on top of that, we're subsidizing our own demise. We're we're paying for tenured Marxists, people who hate this country. So they have nice pensions, good medical care, easy life. uh, Indoctrinating young people, your kids, your grandkids. It's a disaster. We'll be right back. You know, Ben Shapiro is one of the smartest people I know. He writes beautifully. He writes smart books. He's got a fantastic book out right now, The Authoritarian Moment, How the Left Weaponized America's Institutions Against Dissent. Ben, how are you, my friend? Hey, doing well. You know, the book ain't American Marxism, but I appreciate the praise. 
No, no, it's a great book. It's a great book, and I want people to understand this. And it really ought to be higher up on Amazon. And that's one of the things I want to, I want to get into here so people have a little bit of time to hear the substance of the book. You saw this authoritarianism grow. You're not one for hyperbole. You know, your mind doesn't work that way. Your mind is, give me the facts. Let me break it down. Let me apply it to my principles, which is really a good way to live and a good way to think. What drove you to write this book? So I wrote this book end of last year, beginning of this year, uh, and, and it really was an outgrowth of the vast wave of emails that I was receiving from people who believed that their, their livelihoods, their, their friendships, uh, their, their lifestyles were, were largely being put in jeopardy by a lot of the institutions that were used to relying upon, people who felt panicked because they felt like everywhere they turned, they were meeting with, with people who despised them and people who had power over them who despised them, whether they were working in the corporate world or whether they were dealing with Facebook, whether they were simply trying to watch a movie, whether they were watching a sporting event. There just felt like this overwhelming pressure last year, particularly, to conform. And if you didn't conform, there was this move to really destroy from the top down. And I began to examine this phenomenon in detail, and, and I realized that it wasn't just sort of this phantom feeling. There's a reason that conservatives have been feeling this way increasingly over the past decade or so. And, and it's because the, the top of these institutions, the levers of power at these major institutions, nearly all of them, have been taken over by people who are willing to work with, concede to, and in some cases just agree with the radical left, which is a small minority of people who are very aggressive and very intransigent and, and now wield unbelievable amounts of power over what really is a silenced majority. And you point out this is really the new ruling class, this, this tiny cabal of extremists. Explain that. So there are this group of people who, who live at the top of our institutions of power, who consider themselves smarter than the regular people who populate the United States, who went to all the best colleges, all the best universities, and who speak with each other. And they speak the language of wokeism, stuff that they learned at the universities, what I call the vocabulary. You, you can spot it in, in sort of how they talk, people who tend to use the term Latinx as opposed to Latino, people who insist on putting pronouns in their Twitter bios. People who are constantly speaking about systemic racism, and then when you ask them to define what they mean, they, they, they say, well, if, if you need to know the definition, well, I, I, I can't even speak with you. There's no reason for me to even define it, right? As soon as somebody says that, that is a dead giveaway. They don't know what they're talking about. But really what it is is about this sort of virtue signaling that, that gains you membership to an elite crew of people who get to wield power. And if you say to them, you know, the principles that you're espousing make no sense, right? All of your principles are self-contradictory. There's no logical coherence to them. Not only are they insulted, they know that you cannot be allowed inside the body politic because that, that's a threat to them. You know what's interesting? In your table of contents here, I notice, Chapter 4, How Science Defeated Actual Science. You trademark the first word science. Explain that to me. So uh, I've been doing this for a while with regard to the sort of almost corporatization of the language, the, the attempt to turn things that are true into institutions and then to twist the institutions. So science is a perfect mm -hmm. case in point of this. Science is a process, right? Anybody who went to third grade understands that science is all about posing a hypothesis and then using the scientific method to either verify or falsify the hypothesis. But science has moved away from that toward becoming an institution. You see this with Dr. Anthony Fauci, the great and sainted, saying that if you disagree with him, then this means that you disagree with the science. And it's, it's an attack on science. You, you see it with the entire scientific establishment last year declaring that it was very, very dangerous for you to protest against lockdowns, but it was not only good, it was wonderful and, and good for public health if you went out and protested on behalf of George Floyd and against supposed systemic police racism. You see it now with, with a lot of people who refuse to provide you any data to support 
the policies that they wish to push with regard to COVID lockdowns and mask mandates and vaccine passports. And if you question them, they say, well, you just hate the science. You know, that, that when I say the science, TM, I mean science as a self-sustaining industry that does not see the need to justify itself to you, as opposed to the actual process of science, which, of course, has created unbelievable good for humanity. The institution, and particularly the institutionalization of science, has, has undermined the credibility of science, and it's destroyed our capacity to, to even believe the authorities who, who say that their authority should rule. The book is The Authoritarian Moment. I really strongly recommend it. How the left weaponized America's institutions against dissent because Ben really takes a chunk of this and wrestles it to the ground. It's very well written. It's very understandable. And uh, I can't recommend it strongly enough. Now, by the way, as I'm thinking about this, National Public Radio attacked you. What was that, what was that all about? Oh, yeah, that was a good time. So a couple of weeks ago, NPR, and this is just a great example of, of what I talk about in the book, but this is generally what's happening with social media and the media generally. NPR, which, of course, is a government-funded entity, uh, and they, they ran a piece about how Daily Wire, which is the site that I run and, and founded, uh, has unbelievable traffic on Facebook, which, you know, is not unusual. There are a lot of people on the right who have terrific traffic on Facebook, ranging from us to Dan Bongino. To is, right by the, the way, is that a problem? I don't understand so according to NPR, it is. Now, what's hilarious mm-hmm. about their piece is that they say in the piece that we don't lie, we don't falsify, we don't engage in conspiracy theories, and at the bottom of every single article we run, we have a sentence that says that Daily Wire is a conservative website. Right? So we, we openly not only admit but champion what we are up front. And then NPR says, well, you know, even though they are telling the truth about all of this, the truth itself can be misinformation when, quote-unquote, stripped of context. Therefore, Facebook should be minimizing Daily Wire's traffic in order to prevent misinformation, even though they can't actually name the misinformation we're pushing. What, what do you make of these media outlets, obviously on the left, attacking media outlets they disagree with, particularly independent media outlets? They really do want to crush any, uh, any, any debate, difference of uh, thinking, I mean, academic freedom. I mean, they really are totalitarian, aren't they? Oh, yeah, it's incredible. I mean, I think that there are a couple of places where the founders just never foresaw uh, some of the possibilities inherent in the the venality of human nature, and the press is one of them. I think that the founders always assumed that the greatest advocates for press freedom would be the press. And it turns out now that the people who are advocating the hardest to shut down freedom of the press are members of the press, because so many members of our media, as you've talked about in Unfreedom of the Press, are actually just adjuncts of the Democratic Party. They just work for the White House at this point. And so for them, shutting down other press outlets is not quashing freedom of the press, it's just making sure that we don't polarize. This is the thing that you have to understand about how, how the left operates using language. Very often they'll claim that people on the right are polarizing the debate. Well, we are in the sense that we exist, because what they are looking for is a monopole, right? They want a monopoly. They want All right, Ben, I have a heartbreak. Can you stay? Can you stay for another segment? I don't want to impose on you. Oh, yeah. All right. We'll be right back. Ben Shapiro, great book, The Authoritarian Moment. I'll be right back. He's driving the media mad. Mark Levin, call in with your outrage. 877-381-3811. The book is The Authoritarian Moment, How the Left Weaponized America's Institutions Against Dissent. Ben Shapiro is the author. You can get it on Amazon.com right now. You'll get it tomorrow. Any major bookstore. Uh, But Amazon's extremely convenient. And uh, it's a great, great book. I don't have time to read a lot of books when I'm promoting my own book, but I read this book, and I can't recommend it strongly enough. He's a great writer, 
great thinker. And you're a hell of an entrepreneur, too. You know, you've got your Daily Wire, you've got your podcast, you're on radio. You've got these other things going, and that's good. I, I think it's very important when we have individuals, entrepreneurs out there, who are trying to compete, not by getting devoured and sucked into these, these, uh, these, these other entities, but by, as I say, competing against them. Now, you have in here Chapter 7, and you, talk, you touched on it, the fake news. You know, it's my view, Ben, if the media were at least halfway honest, we wouldn't be in the pickle we're in today, but they are truly cheerleaders, they push for the most radical elements. You cannot tell a, any difference between most of the media and the agenda of the Democrat Party, can you? No, there's just no way. I mean, the, the Andrew Cuomo news is just the perfect example of it today, right? Where Chris was writing his actual press releases at the same time interviewing his yeah. brother on air about his masterful COVID response. It is unbelievable, especially since Trump. But it's been true for a long time, but it really kicked into high gear with Trump, where the media just stripped off its mask and said, you know, we're here and we are Democrats and we are going to just be as militant and as dishonest about this stuff as, as humanly possible. What's amazing is that in the era of Biden, they then go right back to, oh, yeah, by the way, we're objective. We're objective now. And we insist on being called objective. I mean, Don Lemon is out there on CNN saying, yeah, I have my point of view and my point of view is relevant, but really I'm an objective journalist. And it's just it's so fundamentally dishonest. And the American people can tell this. The American people know they're being lied to. And then the media wonder why institutional trust is in the toilet. It's because you guys represent the institutions. So the institutions themselves are distrusted. And then you, an untrustworthy source, are representing the institutions. We have two levels of distrust by the time it gets to the American public. And yet we have more choices than ever before, don't we? Options outside of their little bubble, big bubble. Yeah, I mean, thank God for that. Thank God for the Internet. But this is why I think you've seen the media fighting so hard to really cudgel social media into line. Because it used to be, that, and Mark, you remember this, the way that you would access news on the Internet is you'd have a list of bookmarks on the side of your webpage, and then you would just go down the list of bookmarks and click on all of them individually. Then everybody started using social media for construction of a news feed via Facebook or via Twitter. Well, the left saw this, and they said, wait, hold on a second. It looks like everybody is going through this one website to get their news. What if we bottlenecked it? What if we just restricted your access to the news on Facebook, on Twitter, so you only saw left-wing news again? We reestablished the monopoly by cutting off all access to other sources. That's their game. That's what they've been pushing for really, really hard lately. And uh, I think sooner or later they're going to get it. How do we stop that in particular? How do we confront that? Well, I mean, I've been advocating for a long time that conservatives need to understand the game. And what that means is that you do have to actually go over to places like, like The Blaze, like Daily Wire, like Daily Call. You have to actually spend your money. You actually do have to go subscribe. Um, and, 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 you know, it sounds self-serving, but it, it, it's not just self-serving. It is the only protective mechanism because we can't be the Blanche Dubois of the Internet and rely on the kindness of strangers here, which, uh, unfortunately, we've been forced to do. Uh, the other thing we can do is we can actually push pretty hard for some revisions to Section 230. And, and that really does not require a heavy lift. You just have to get rid of the catch-all provision of Section 230. And suddenly all of these outlets are going to have to explain why they're discriminating on the basis of politics when they remove comments and why that doesn't make them an editorial board in the same way the New York Times or the Daily Wire is. I just left Twitter and Facebook. I got tired of uh, being treated like a third grader, getting little scarlet letters or little... Uh, sad faces on my paper. So who the hell are these fools? And we know that they're fools. We know these third parties are fake. They're left. I said, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. So I just left. And you know what? It hasn't affected me in the least, Ben. I still have the people who support what we do here. I still have the show. I still do what I do. And I actually feel a lot better. It's, it's almost uh, it's cathartic, actually. 
Oh, for sure. Well, I mean, certainly on a personal level, I took Twitter and Facebook off my phone years ago. As, as far as my company, my view is that we'll stay on there until they kick us off. And in the meantime, we'll tell everybody to move over because the more we can shout it, using their media, the more we can shout that everybody needs to move over, the better we're going to be. No, I agree with that. And I think that's what Blaze uh, pretty much does, too. So tell me this. Uh, you have unfriending Americans. What's that all about? Yeah, so that really is about how the, the social media networks are driving people toward basically closing the Overton window on their friends. Right? This is what you see from corporate America. This is where you see the, the mobbing. Social media is such an ugly place. I mean, as you mentioned, it's, it's great for your lifestyle to get off of social media because in the past, you used, to have a cause, you used to have to have a cause in order to mobilize a mob to go hurt people. Now you just have a mob that's milling around waiting to sort of almost like a, a, a misfiring immune system to, to activate and attack whoever is the target of the day. It's really ugly, and it makes for a, a truly ugly country. Um, but, you know, that, that, that does point to some deeper spiritual maladies that I know you've talked about a lot, Mark. I mean, we, we lack some, some basic American fundamental values at this point, and that's manifesting in a lot of really hideous ways, I think, on an interpersonal level. Folks, I can't stress it enough. The authoritarian moment, how the left weaponized America's institutions against dissent. You get it on Amazon.com. You can go there right now. You'll get it tomorrow. It's very worth the uh, read. And, uh, Ben, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for being a great patriot, too. Well, back at you, Mark. I really appreciate the time. All right. God bless. Take care of yourself. You know, there's a handful of people that I really admire who are go-getters, who are smart, who are, well, you hear him, And Ben is one of them. He's just terrific. And I hope and I want to encourage you to get American Marxism. And while you're there, get the authoritarian moment. Can you imagine your kid walking into college, Mr. Producer, with one under one arm and one under the other? <laughs> I'm quite serious about it. You know, people call and they always say to me, well, you've heard them, folks. This book should be required reading in our colleges and universities. We can make it required reading if your kids and grandkids bring it to our colleges and universities and discuss it, not just in the classroom, but on campus, and bring it up. So, okay, let's have a talk about this. What I'm saying is let's invade their territory. Let's spread our word in their territory. Let's back it up with facts and knowledge. We've got endnotes. On our territory. Let's go to them. And let's also make sure we don't lose your kids and grandkids to what they're going to be taught by these tenured Marxists. That's all. I think this is the perfect, perfect tool to use this coming academic year. I really do. So when you say or somebody says out there, this is really must reading. They ought to give it every college and university. Now, we know that's not going to happen. But let's say thousands of kids going to college have this book or read this book. Then we've accomplished that without them. That is, without the colleges and universities. Think about it. All homeschoolers, I mean, if your kids are a certain age, you can teach them from American Marxism. And as I say, you're not without tools. You're not without impact when you send your kids off to colleges and universities. Or even more, when you send them off to high school, say, hey, son or daughter, take this with you. I want you to read this before you go. I'm telling you, we have power. We have power in numbers. 
We have power in numbers. They will be reading about Marxism. Your kid will be reading about American Marxism. Your kid will be able to counter them, to challenge the professor if they wish to. If not, when they meet new kids, assuming they're not complete crackpots, they'll be able to sit down and have a conversation. This is what you want. And the academic year is upon us. It is upon us. It can't be required reading in colleges and universities. But your children, young men and young women, they can bring them to college universities by the tens of thousands. And then what are these colleges and universities going to do? Maybe they'll take notice. Maybe they won't. But it doesn't matter. This is a movement from the ground up. We are not going to allow any of our important institutions any longer to be devoured without challenge. A simple book can change the world. I want you to think about that. There's many books that have done that. A simple book can change the world. It can change what happens at a college or university here or there. If we use our numbers and we use our tactics. I'll be right back. Stalinist, Marxist, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who got elected after a long career as a bartender. And I happen to like bartenders, Mr. Producer. But she feels she should be able to run the country. She feels that God, well, she doesn't believe in God. She feels that she's been given the power with her deep, broad experience. In mixing drinks. And again, I'm not against that. I'm not, I don't drink, but I'm not against it. To run the world. And she is advising Joe Biden to defy the Supreme Court of the United States. Defy it. And she's joined by Cori Bush. Who's she? Another low IQ reprobate who hates her country and is a Marxist. Did I say it? Yes. And with any luck, she'll sue me. Do you know what kind of fun I would have with that, Mr. Producer? Oh, it would be unbelievable. Access to texts and emails, depositions, witnesses, interrogatory. Can you imagine, Mr. Producer? Anyway, that is on my Hanukkah and Christmas list. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She only shows up on the Constipated News Network, on MSLSD, and the other putrid carbon footprints. Uh, that will uh, that will gush all over her. Anyway, here she is. Cut 19. Go. So the message of the day is the White House needs to get his act together. So here's the deal, like the the message of the day is the White House needs to get its act together. Yes, defy the Supreme Court. And defy the Supreme Court. Hand out money to everybody like lollipops. Make sure landlords can never evict anybody even though it means that they will crash and burn, that's okay. They will nationalize the, uh, the, the structures themselves. And then we're going to get rid of all student loan debt. Everybody can go to college for free. It's true, yes. 
everybody can go to Hershey Park and get all the chocolate kisses and Hershey bars they want. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Just think about it. Just, just, just think. All right, go ahead. In the eviction moratorium, we do not want to hear the excuses about what will the court do, etc. The administration had no problem. Uh, hey, what will the court do, etc., etc.? We don't have to listen to the Supreme Court, no. We're here, the squad of Marxist buffoons, with a collective IQ of negative 712. We're here. We've got so much worldly experience here. Now, even though we took an oath to uphold the Constitution, we just did that, you know, to go through the motions here. We don't believe in the Constitution. All the white supremacists who put it together... And look at the Supreme Court. All the white supremacists there. Well, there's Clarence Thomas. Well, yeah, white supremacists. So do my white supremacists. They don't agree with us, do they? Do they? Go ahead. These were when they decided. Ah, shut up, you idiot. Now we have Cory Bush. Oh my. What does Cory have to say, Mr. Producer? Go. We know we have to get it done, but buy us some time. So we're asking the White House to go ahead and go ahead and do this. If there's a court challenge, possibly let's work on that when the, when and if that happens. But right now, the people don't care about if something could possibly happen. And also, listen, if- listen, just because the court already ruled to cut it out. They gave us a little bit of time telling these landlords to stop trying to collect rent, stop trying to survive. You know, Marxism, it's the. Landlord versus the tenant. The landlord's the enemy. The landlord's the victimizer. Come on now. Come on, get it together, Joe. And don't worry about court decisions. Just do whatever you want here, baby. This is Stalinism 101. Go ahead. Does. We have to look at the weight of it. Ah, shut up, you idiot. The squad. What a joke. The idiots. The idiots. Among all of them, they have no real-world experience, none whatsoever. But that's okay, because that, that's big on their resume with the Marxist left. As long as they want to tear... What have these people done, these Marxists, to improve this country? Anything? What have they done to improve this country? Why do they get all this TV attention? Well, Mark, why do you put them on radio? Why do you think? To pound the crap out of them. My question is, why are they on CNN and MSNBC... Like they're serious people. They promote these whack jobs. As Ben and I were talking about, the media, dead. Media joke. And by the way, if you miss the morning schmo like the vast majority of the American people, although the majority of the North Korean generals appear to like it, you would have missed Colonel Alexander Vindman. Another jackass. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Amazon awaits you. American Marxism, grab it. 40% off. See you tomorrow. God bless.